If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to, to find 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in Loudoun and PW and Arlington and MoCo, as well as others online. It's good to be together, to meet with God and to hear from Him and His Word. We're in week two of a 12-week series in why you need a biblical church. Why you, regardless of who you are, what age or stage in life, even whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, you need a biblical church, a specific type of community that God has designed for your good and your family's good and for the good of the world, for that matter. So last week we talked about how you need biblical preaching and teaching. You need to hear the word of the God who made you and loves you and knows what is best for you. You need to hear his word spoken into your life, taught to you if you want to experience life to the full. This is fundamentally what a church is, a people who gather together to listen to and obey God's word as they worship him. And have done that for centuries, for thousands of years. And I should add, people of all ages have done this, especially in light of the fact that in many of our locations today, more children than normal are with us in worship. At each of our locations, we take periodic Sundays to, one, give sisters and brothers who serve in various ministries extra rest on that Sunday, and then, two, to remind each other that we actually welcome and value children of any age and others with special needs in our worship. We believe it is good for children to see their parents lifting their voices and their hands to God in songs of worship, to see them sitting under the teaching of this word and to learn alongside them, knowing they may not catch everything, but we believe that by the time they're 17, 18 years old, the cumulative effect of six or 700 worship gatherings with mom or dad cannot be measured. And the data proves it. Children and students who participate in intergenerational worship and have greater connection to the larger body of Christ, the church, have a significantly higher likelihood of holding fast to their faith and remaining in church after they graduate high school than children and students who are disconnected from church gatherings in the church body by just being in children's or student activities. So welcome to all the kids in our worship gathering every week and particularly this week. And thank you to all of you who serve in different ministries, particularly children's ministry as well as ministry with those with special needs. And if your location isn't doing this this week and you're wondering, oh man, I wish I had a break today. No, your break is coming. But I actually want to involve kids and adults of all ages in something a little interactive here at the start. And last week I talked about the danger of these devices and the need to put them away and spend more time in God's word. This week, I'm actually gonna invite you to pull it out for just a minute, just a minute, and provide a little audience feedback to two questions that I wanna ask you. So the first question, I only want kids to answer. So if you're a child, I'm gonna invite you to give an answer maybe to a parent or an adult who's with you, they can send in that answer to this first question. And then the second question is gonna be for adults to answer. And if you're a teenager, I'm going to actually put you in the adult category. So you are officially an adult for the next few minutes, at least for this exercise. So I'm going to put up here on the screen where you need to go online. You can use this QR code that will be up here on the screen or go to menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com, and put in this code, 32952582. And uh, once you do, you're going to come to two questions. Again, if you're, all right, just picture like 12 and under, you answer the first question, and an adult can put in your answer for you if that's helpful. Then 13 and up, 
If you're, uh, yeah, you're not putting an answer in for the first one, you just skip the first question and it will say, are you sure you want to skip this? You say, yes, I told you, skip it. So then just answer the second one. And both these questions are totally anonymous. But menti.com, 3295-2582, or you can just use this QR code. And uh, yeah, let's dive in. So here's the questions. In order to set up the first question, I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen of me and my wife, Heather. So, oh, there we are. There's Heather and me. So, here's the first question for kids under 12. 12 and under, here's the first question. What makes my wife and me a married couple? So, what is it about my relationship with Heather, my wife, about who we are or what we do that makes us married? A married couple is what? Or a married couple does what? And you may now be realizing why I'm asking only kids to answer this question, because the minds of some adults and teenagers may go in a particular direction here, and that direction is not what this exercise is about. So I want to know what do kids think of when you think of a husband and a wife? What is it about who they are or what they do that makes them a married couple? So if you're a child, I want you to answer that question and if you have an adult with you, you can put in an answer, do that. And then second, if you're a teenager or adult, I want you to answer this question. What makes Christians a church? So you have two or three or four or more Christians in the same church. What does that mean? What is it about their relationship with each other that makes them part of the same church? And multiple things may come to your mind. That's great. You can submit multiple answers. But what is it that a church is or does that makes it a church? And I would invite, again, everybody to do this, even if you're not a Christian. I would really be interested in your feedback on what do you think makes Christians a church. But even if you're not typing anything in on a device, take a minute to really think about this. I want to pause for a minute so you can think about what makes, first, a husband and wife a married couple, or kids, and then second, Teenagers and adults, what makes Christians a church? Take just a minute to think about it, write in your answers, and then we'll move on. Take just, a, take just a few more seconds. What makes husband and wife, like Heather and me, a married couple? And then what makes Christians a church? Okay, I see a variety of answers coming in. Let me, let me lead us in prayer. Oh God, we saw last week that we need to listen to you in your word and obey what you say. This has been the mark of your people for thousands of years. So we take our place today as we talk about what it means to be a church, we say we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Please teach us in these next few minutes by your Holy Spirit, through your word, what it means for us to be a church and why this is good for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at your answers, and then think about them in light of God's Word. So question number one, what makes Heather and me, or husband or wife, a married couple? So kids, you said a married couple loves each other, likes each other, very helpful, communicates with each other, it's good, you're friends, you hold hands, you kiss, 
You, you date, you go to movies, you're together a lot. It's very true. You think you're pretty. <laughs> I'm guessing that means you think each other is pretty. Or maybe you're like, no, I mean it like what I said. You think you're pretty, nobody else does. So uh, I don't know. So you think you're pretty. You made me born. Okay, yes, yes, you've had that talk. Um, you spend money together. You help each other. This is good. This is, oh, man, this is, uh, there's tons of answers. And these are so good. Well done. At the same time, I look at this list. You know what's interesting? People who are not married also do all of those things. It's interesting. People who aren't married love each other, like each other, communicate with each other, are friends, go to movies, are together a lot, spend money together, help each other. Like there's, these are all really good things, but as great as they are, they're not really what makes somebody married. So there's one critical thing at the core of what it means to be married that seems to be missing even in all those good responses. Let's hold that thought and let's go to the second question. So what makes Christians a church? So teenagers and adults, you said Christians in a church love each other, have community together. Community came up a ton of times. They worship. You pray together. You study the Bible together. You meet regularly together. You have the same beliefs. Tons, tons of answers along all these lines. Again, all really good. At the same time, Christians who aren't in the same church, also do all of those things together, right? Like Christians who aren't in the same church love each other, have communion together, worship, pray together. Just because you pray with someone, does that mean you're in a church with that person? If you have a, a meal, a regular meal that you have with somebody who's a Christian, does that mean, okay, we're a church because we meet regularly together? So just because I or you do these things with another Christian, it still seems like one critical piece is missing at the core of what it means to be a church. So what is it? Well, let's go back to Heather and me, or any married couple. At the core, isn't what makes us a married couple a commitment to each other? to be and do all those things that a married couple is and does. There was a day 20 plus years ago when I looked into Heather's eyes and I said, I am committed to you. And she looked back at me and said, I am committed to you. And that was the day we were what? We were married when we made a commitment to each other to be married and to do what married couples do, including all those things we just listed that you shared. But the core of what it means to be married is to be committed to each other in a way that's different from a commitment to anybody else. Now, it's not a perfect correlation because it does break down in ways I'll mention, but I think it's a helpful illustration of what it means to be a church. I think about this week. I was at Baylor University preaching on Monday night in their football stadium and another church in Dallas the next night. And I interacted with literally thousands of Christians and hundreds of other pastors and church leaders. I prayed with them and for them. I cared for them. They cared for me. I worshiped with them. It was awesome. We studied the Bible together. But we're not in the same church. Why not? Because I've not looked at them. They've not looked at me and said, we're committed to being and doing with each other all that God says a church is and does. Yes, absolutely. They're my Christian brothers and sisters for sure. But I'm back in D.C. They're in Texas. 
And many of them there are even in different churches where they have made particular commitments to people in those churches. Now, it's at this point, some of you are thinking, but aren't we all a part of the same church? Why do we have to divide into different churches? Aren't we just supposed to be committed to each other as Christians? Well, yes, of course, in one sense. And we really need to grow in our love for Christians in other churches to never see them as competition or anything less than brothers and sisters who were joyfully in the family of God with. But is that all the Bible teaches? That we're just part of one big global church, so being committed to a church locally where we live is not that important. Is that what God tells us in his word? Well, let's hear how God speaks Because the word for church in the Bible that God gives us, New Testament written in Greek, the word is ekklesia. And it literally means an assembly or a gathering of Christians. And it appears 114 times in the Bible. And out of all those times, do you know how many out of 114 Times that God uses the word church, that he refers to the big global church around the world and throughout history, for that matter, out of 114, at most 24 of those times are referring to the big global church. And at least 90 of those times, or about 80% of the times that God talks about church in the Bible, God is referring to specific local groups of Christians who have a particular commitment to each other in that place. Let me show you just a couple of examples, starting right where you are in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So this is a book we've studied as a church before. Look at who this book was written to. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Did you hear that? Paul says, to the church of God that's in Corinth. That's a reference to a specific Church, a specific group of believers, one local church. And then, see the distinction, he notes, along with those who are called to be saints, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see the distinction here between the global church and a local church at Corinth. Turn back one page in your Bible to Romans 16, or maybe on the same page in your Bible. Romans chapter 16, verse 3 and 5. Listen to what Paul says there. He writes, starting in verse 3, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So you have a reference to different churches throughout the Gentiles among the nations, and then a church that's meeting in Prisca and Aquila's house. Now, these are just a couple of examples of many where the Bible actually emphasizes local groups of Christ followers as churches. And notice, they're not called parts of churches. Paul doesn't say to the part of the church that's in Corinth or the part of the church that meets in that house. No, each of these groups is, according to God, a church. And this picture of the church is the primary emphasis in the Bible. In God's word, local gatherings of Christians in a particular place with a particular commitment to be the church and do what the church does in that place together. So this is why, based on the Bible, we define a church last week this way as a group of people who commit together to be and do all that God says the church is and does. So we talked about the God says part last week, biblical preaching and teaching. So all of this coming from him, we're not defining church on our own. It's what God says the church is and does. And specifically, it's a group of people who commit together to be and do 
all those things. What makes a church a church, kind of like marriage, is a commitment together. Which then leads us to the second trait of a church that you and I need according to God's word. You need biblical membership. A commitment to a particular church as a part or a member of that church. Now, as soon as I say that word, member or membership, all kinds of thoughts or images may come to your mind based on what you can become a member of in this world. People have memberships at Costco or Sam's Club or country clubs. You can be a member of a social organization or a society or a political party. You can have a gym membership. Even if you don't use it, it makes you feel better to have it. <laughs> Maybe there's a parallel there with church. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Maybe you're a member of a sports team or ARP. There are many ways we might think of membership, which is why I want to immediately put in your mind how God uses this word. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to read starting in verse 12. And I want to invite you maybe to circle in your Bible to, and for us together. We're going to count. Let's do this together. So kids and adults, kids of all ages, Every time you see one of three words, I want you to, to shout out a number, whatever the number is next. So we'll start obviously with one, and we'll just keep going up. And we're going to count how many times we see either member or part or body. Okay? Member, part, or body. Whenever you hear that word, then we'll say out loud together here at all of our locations, whatever number. So we're going to count up how many there are. Okay? We'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Again, we're looking for member part, or body. Here we go. For just as the body, well done, is one and has many members, two, and all the members of the body, four. You're doing so good. And even if you're not even paying attention to the Bible, whenever there's a pause, just shout out a number. You'll have it next, okay? So the body, so that's fourth. Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Eleven. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Keep going. Verse 17, if the whole, or we're on, sorry, I, I made that confusing. That's 14. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we're at 22. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts... 23, of the body, 24, that seem to be weaker and indispensable. And on these parts of the body, all right, you're, I'm starting to lose you. Stick with me. Stick with me. We're, we're getting there. I, you're like, we get the point. Just keep going. Here we go. 26, that we think less honorable, we bestow with the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members. There it is. 
36 different times in 16 short verses that God says, Christian, you're a member or a part of a body. And not just anybody, the body of Christ. So for a bit of background here, particularly for those of you who may be exploring Christianity, the body of Christ is one of the ways the Bible describes the church. And here's how this works. All of us have been created by God for relationship with God. Yet all of us have turned aside from God, from his ways to our own ways, what we in this world think is better than God. The Bible calls this sin, and our sin separates us from God. And if we die in this state of separation from God, we will spend eternity in judgment for our sin. But the good news of the Bible is that God loves you and me, and God has not left us alone in this state. God has come to us himself in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has lived a life of no sin, unlike anybody else. And then, even though he had no sin for which to die, Jesus chose to die on a cross to pay the price for sin as a sacrifice for sinners. And then, three days later, he rose from the dead so that anyone of any age, anywhere in the world who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus, you can be forgiven of all your sin and restored to relationship with God for all of eternity. And so follow this. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you become united with his life. And not just you. But everyone who puts their faith in Jesus becomes united with his life as a part of his what? His body. So we get this picture of the church. Yes, as we've seen with all people who've placed their faith in Jesus throughout all time all over the world. But when God talks about the church most, he's talking about local bodies of believers who are united together in Christ who do what God says the body of Christ, the church, does. They are what God says the church is. That's what this whole series is about. But what we're seeing today is that it all starts with commitment to be and do those things with a particular group of people. Like you need biblical membership. You need a body that you are a part of. In fact, let's just put that up here on the screen. Some of you are thinking, okay, why do I need biblical membership? Why do I need to commit to a local body of Christ, church, in order to experience life to the full? And God is saying in his word, you need, one, a body where you belong. And I'm saying you here, but I, I definitely mean you and me, us. I really want you, though, to hear this right where you are listening right now. I will hear this as preaching to myself. You, David, and you, right where you're listening to this, you need a body where you belong. Like First and foremost, you need Christ. And then in Christ, you need the body of Christ, a local church where you belong, that you're a part of. And I don't know what part you are. Maybe you're an eye, or an ear, or a leg, or an arm. Maybe you're a toe or an armpit. I don't know. The point is, you're only one part. And you need to be joined together with other parts of the body. You cannot live in Christ alone as an arm, or an eye, or whatever. I sometimes hear Christians say, I I do better outside the church. But that goes totally against what God says in his word. God is saying to you, you need the body of Christ. People with different gifts and personalities and strengths in order for you to be who God is calling you to be. And other people need you. So follow this. It is both foolish and selfish. To attempt to 
to live the Christian life apart from being a meaningful part, member of a body of Christ, a church. You need this for your good. You're an arm. You need another arm and some legs and some eyes and some ears. You need a body where you belong. God's made you that way. And then another reason God says you need to commit to a group of believers is because you need leaders who care for you and you gladly follow. Leaders who care for you and who you gladly follow. Now, we're going to talk about different things a church does and is, including biblical leadership, all throughout the series. But I want to make the connection here between why membership, belonging to a body, is so important along these lines. And I want to show you this straight from God. Hebrews chapter 13. You might turn there if you want to underline this verse or have it up here on the screen. God tells his people in Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So God is specifically talking to Christians about their leaders here, the people who speak to them the word of God, the people whose way of life and faith they're called to imitate. And God is saying there are particular leaders you're supposed to listen to and see their way of life and their faith. And then you get down to verse 17. God says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you hear what God is commanding you and me in his word. You and I, we need leaders who keep watch over our souls, who we obey and submit to. Let's think about that, because there's, there's two ways to look at these verses. We could look at it from the perspective of leaders and from the perspective of people who follow leaders. But from either perspective, See the importance of Christians being committed members of a local church. I think about this from my perspective as one leader in this church. Like God just told me that I and other leaders at this church will give an account to him for the people whose souls we are keeping watch over. Well, that immediately leads me to ask the question, whose souls am I accountable to God for? Every believer in the global church around the world? Oh, that's, that's a lot. Or just bring it in. Am I accountable to God for every follower of Jesus in Metro D.C.? Clearly not. No, I, along with other leaders throughout this church family, we are accountable to God for the care of every member, every part of this body. Acts 20, 28 says the same thing. Elders and pastors are responsible for caring for the flock entrusted to their care. 1 Peter 5 uses the flock entrusted to your charge or your care. That's the whole picture. God is saying to leaders, you are accountable for a particular group of people. And, so now bring this into your lap, God says to every follower of Jesus, and I include myself in this with you, the first part of this verse, God just commanded you and me to obey and submit to leaders. And you and I are accountable to God for doing that. So which leaders are you supposed to obey and submit to? Is God telling you to obey and submit to every leader that exists in the big global church? So you got to start listening to a lot more podcasts and listen to every Christian leader in the world because you're accountable to God for obeying and listening to them, teach the word of God and submitting to their leadership. No, God is telling you to be in a church where you can gladly obey and submit to the leaders of that church. 
as they lead according to God's word. This is God's good design for your life. Which means if you're not in a church right now where you are gladly following the direction and counsel and teaching of leaders who care for you, then you need to commit yourself to a church where this can happen because God has commanded you to do this. If you don't, then you will be living in disobedience to God and you will miss out on his good design for your life. Now, obviously, this points to the importance of good godly leadership in the church, which we will talk about in this series. But make the connection with You've got to be a member of the church to do this, of a body. And it leads into the third reason why God says you need this kind of commitment. Because you need people who will keep you from sin and from yourself. You and I need people who will keep us from sin and from ourselves. And again, this is one of the things we'll talk about on one week in this series And you might think, well, yeah, sure, but I don't need to be a part of a church to do that. Well, let's let's ask that question. Is that what God tells us? Because from the very beginning of the mention of church in the Bible, first time we see church is Matthew 16. Jesus talks about how church is built on the foundation of who he is. The second time we ever see the church mentioned in the Bible is Matthew chapter 18. Look at it with me. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to who? The church. There it is, second mention of the church in the Bible. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Did you follow this? Apparently, you and I don't always see it when we sin. When we go outside or against God's good design for our lives. Which is why we need people who, when this happens, are committed to helping us see our sin in love so that we'll turn from it. There's a whole process for how this happens. And watch where it leads. If you or I continue in unrepentant sin, even when lovingly confronted with that, we won't turn from it, then Jesus says, tell it to the church. So what does that mean? Does Jesus mean... Tell about this person's unrepentant sin to every follower of Jesus in the global body of Christ. Like, what would that look like? It's like, all right, well, we need, to get, we need to get some mediums going and start getting people's unrepentant sin out there to the whole body of Christ. Like, no, clearly Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying, tell it to the people who've committed together to be and do all that a church is and does for that person to keep them from sin. And then Jesus says, if that person still refuses to repent, remove them from the church. That's what it means to be, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So you remove them from the church. Well, if, if that is possible to remove someone from the church, then it well, doesn't it imply they had to be a member, a part of the church in the first place. It's exactly what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There is someone in the church identified as a member of the church, and God says, move them out of the church. Again, we'll talk about that on another week in this series. But some of you might be thinking at just this point, I don't need this in my life. I don't need people telling me when I'm sinning. And you're right. You don't. If You want to live in sin. And if you want to live for yourself. And if you want to live apart from the God who made you and loves you and wants you to experience life in him so much that he's designed a particular community to lovingly come to you whenever you start to wander and you don't see it. 
And if you want the life God has for you, life to the full according to his word, then you need people who if, when they see you in sin, love you enough to call you back to Jesus and to the life God has created you to live. Now let's just put it on the table and be honest with each other. We live in a culture, even a Christian subculture, that is so individualistic where so many of us think, I don't need these things. I don't need to belong to a body. I can just float in and out here and there. I don't need to follow leaders. They exist to do what I tell them to do or what I want to do. And I don't need people keeping me from sin. I can do this on my own. And God is saying right now, you are wrong on all accounts. You need to belong to a church, a local body of Christ, where you gladly follow leaders who teach God's word to you and care for you, and where people who love you watch your life closely and help keep you from sin and yourself. You need people who are doing, well, all that God says a church is and does and who are committed to that in your life just as you're committed to that in their life. In other words, you and I need to be clearly and lovingly committed to membership in a local church. And I use all these words intentionally based on what God is saying in his word. You need this to be clear. Just like it doesn't need to be vague who I'm married to or who I'm family with. You may not have the t-shirt, but it doesn't need to be vague who your church family is. What is the body of Christ to which you belong? It needs to be clear what that means. This is why churches over centuries have had church covenants, clear expressions of who we are and what we do together as a church out of love for each other. Don't you need and want sisters and brothers in Christ who are lovingly committed to your good? That is really good for you. And they need that from you. And together to be committed to making God's love known in the world around us. Now, let me point out what I trust is obvious, just to be clear. This commitment is different than commitment, for example, in marriage. That's till death do you part. Commitment to a local church is not. There may be Specific reasons we move our commitment from one local church to another. For example, God could call any one of us to move away from Metro D.C., at which point we will make this commitment to another group of believers. The key is, whatever the reason, to always make sure it's Jesus who is leading us to another church. And let me point out something else that I also trust is obvious. You you can't do what we're seeing here in the Bible from home behind a screen. So for those of you who are watching or listening online, we are really glad, genuinely glad you're able to join us in this way at this time. And if this is a supplement to your meaningful membership gathering together with another local church, that is great. But if not, if this is church distant for you, then God is telling you, you need, if at all physically possible, to commit to gathering and assembling with sisters and brothers with whom you can be and do all that God says a church is and does. Amen. And I would 
even take that a step further. So if you're feeling really good right now that you are not online today and you're in person, you don't just need, according to God, to come and sit in a building somewhere on a Sunday. Every week or every once in a while. You know, when your kid's sports schedule or other plans allow for it. This is the idea that I think most Christians in America have of belonging to a church. I come to that building once a week. Where is that in the Bible? That we're supposed to come and maybe sing, pray, listen to a sermon, and then move on with our lives, that this is Christianity? No, what is that? Maybe it's an event. Maybe it's a concert or a conference. It's not a church. Yes, the church does all of those things, prays, worships, listens to the word, but the core of a church is what? See it today. It's commitment to a group of people. It's a body of members who are committed to being and doing all that God says a church is and does together. This is why we talk about church groups all the time around here, because In a church this size, across all these different locations in the city, you and I can't be and do all that a church is and does once a week in a large room like the ones we're gathered in right now. You need, I need, we need church leaders who are close to your life and my life, to Christians who are close to your life and caring for you like family and helping you grow in your relationship with with Jesus and you're working together with them on mission in the world. That's what we call church groups here, groups that do what a church is and does together. And I know some of you may be thinking right now, I'm struggling with this or that in my life right now, my family right now, my work right now. And you're telling me church membership is what I need? And based on God's word, I'm saying, absolutely. You need the body of Christ around you and committed to you in whatever struggles you're walking through. You're not designed by God to walk through those alone. And even if you're not struggling, other people are, and they need you around them, committed to them. This is why we want every member of this body, this church, to be a part of a church group. If you're not a part of one, please reach out to leaders, whether here at your location, to find out how to get involved in or start a church group, a group that's doing what the church does with each other. Why? Because we all need this. You need this. I need this. First and foremost, yes, we need Jesus Christ to restore us to relationship with God. And when that happens, we become a part, a member of a body, his body, where others need us and we need them. And we realize this fully rubs against our Western individualism, against our contemporary aversion to commitment, But think about it. You were made for this. You were made by God for something bigger than yourself. I know this goes totally against the grain of the way this world wires us to think, but you were made by God. You know this. You were made by God to belong. And to be loved and to show love. And God's designed a type of community for that to happen for your good. So, Christian, I challenge you, based on God's word to us, to commit yourself to meaningful biblical membership in a local church, whether here or somewhere else. Give your life in this church or that church, being and doing all that a church is and does as you experience life in the 
body of Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? All across this room and other locations where we are gathered. I don't, I don't know how this word is hitting your heart today. But I, I do know in a room, in a gathering this size, there are many of you who you've not yet put your faith in Jesus. Right now you're not a part of the body of Christ, even the big picture global body of Christ. And I hope you're hearing loud and clear today that God loves you and God desires you to be a member of his family, God's family. And he has sent Jesus, his son, to make that possible. So I invite you as we bow our heads all across this gathering and just to say in your heart, yes to God, yes to Jesus. To say, God, I know I've sinned against you. I've turned aside from you in your ways. I'm separated from you, but I want to be restored to you. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he rose from the dead. Today, I put my faith in Jesus. Please forgive me of my sin and restore me to relationship with you. You pray that by faith. Not by what you do, but by trusting in who Jesus is and what he has done. He brings you into his family, gives you eternal life. So for all who have prayed that, either now or you've put your trust in Jesus in the past, can we just pray, God, help us to value membership in the body of Christ the way we have just heard in your word. Lord, we, we are hearing you say that life is found in meaningful commitment to a body where we belong and organized under the leadership of people who are speaking the word of God and showing what faith looks like in action and where we're accountable to other brothers and sisters who Pull us back to you when we start to wander. So, God, we pray individually, whatever needs to be done in our lives to, to put this word into action. Give us the courage and commitment to do that. And God, we pray together. We want to be the body of Christ you are calling us to be, that you've created us to be this body of Christ here at NBC, God, we, we want to be the people, the church that you are calling us to be. So help us, like no strings attached, oh God, whatever you want us to do, however you want us to move forward in the days ahead, we say we're yours. Make us the body of Christ that is most pleasing and glorifying to you. And we trust that it will be most good for us. We pray all of this according to your word, which we are so thankful for in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.